Hello, everyone. I'm an indigenous elder of the Eastern Cherokee and Muscogee tribes, and you're listening to the, the Awakened, Awakened Underground, Underground Podcast. This podcast represents the opinions and experience of its hosts and guests for educational and informational purposes only. Psychedelic plant medicines are sacred technologies that have been stewarded by indigenous people around the world since before recorded history. As these indigenous wisdoms enter the mainstream culture, we ask you to please operate from a place of respect and reciprocity. As to end the exploitation and colonization of First Nations people. It's imperative to use immense caution when embarking on your journey to work with psychedelic medicines, as they are powerful tools for human transformation that are not to be taken lightly. Information shared within this podcast should not be taken as medical advice. Awakened Underground, its guests and partners are not liable for any actions of your choosing. With that said, we, we trust, trust you will make responsible and ethical choices under your own free will. What's up, gang? I'm your host, Cody Blue, and today is the season finale of the Awakened Underground podcast. Now, I would like to start off by just stating our immense gratitude to all of our dedicated listeners. Your trust, warmth, and open-mindedness to our message has been a deep healing for all of us at the Awakened Underground. Thanks to your unwavering support and all of the people you have shared the show with, the Awakened Underground podcast has reached the top charts for self-improvement and education all around the world. Because of this truly humbling milestone, we are anticipating coming back for a second season. But to make sure this happens, we ask you all to please continue to share the show with your friends and family, as well as post about it on your social media accounts. We need your advocacy to help spread this message across the globe. So please, if you haven't already, follow us on social media, as well as rate, like, comment, share, and subscribe. And for everyone who wants to continue to heal, learn, and grow with us, even as we are on our season break, we have launched a Patreon account where you can sign up to receive exclusive content and more in-depth teachings around this work. And lastly, to everyone who has made it this far into the show, you are the awakened underground. The new world has begun, and you are it. This one's for you, as this episode's called The Psychedelic Generation. This is your brain on drugs. This is your brain on drugs. America's public enemy number one. To a new and dangerous area, the use of hallucinogens. Bad trip. The bummer, the freak out, even a flip out. Don't let drugs ruin your future. Both call it not a war on drugs, but a war on consciousness. You are now entering the Awakened Underground Podcast. The year was 2016. I was in Taos, New Mexico for my first formal mushroom ceremony private circle held on the full moon, just for me and my two hometown best friends, Mike and Zach. The ceremony began with us hiking down the mountain to bathe in the ice-cold water of the Rio Grande Canal, as a means of cleansing ourselves before the ritual began. Afterwards, my friends began to climb back up the mountain, where we were to meet the shaman at the summit to take the medicine. I lagged behind a strap on my back brace which I was wearing at the time to help support a fracture on the base of my spine that I had been struggling with for over a decade. Racing to catch up with my friends, I painstakingly scaled the mountain until I reached the summit to find the shaman meditating by the fire 
accompanied by his three assistants. The shaman was native to the region, an elder with long white hair, who went by the name Inlakesh, which is an ancient Mayan moral code that translates to, You are my other me. What I do unto you, I do unto myself. One by one, me and my friend sat down with the shaman in private, in which he read our Mayan birth charts and administered the medicinal sacrament, a medicine known as Tianatacatl, translating to the flesh of the gods, better known by its street name, the magic mushroom. When I sat down within Lakesh, he looked at me long and hard and leaned back in his chair with a puzzled look on his face. After a long pause, he said, a vulture was circling your head as you climbed the mountain, which means to my people that today is the day that you die. He then added, and I looked at your mind charts and today is the day of your rebirth. The shaman reached into his medicine pouch and said, which is why I am only giving you this. He opened his hand to reveal one singular mushroom. When I saw this, I was a little put off as I had emptied my bank account to travel to sit in this ceremony and I wanted a full experience. But I trusted the medicine man, stated my intention, and ate the singular mushroom. Afterward, I sat anxiously by the fire next to the shaman and his daughter Elizabeth as my two friends sat over on the cliffside with the other facilitator, Mark. As I sat there waiting for the medicine to take hold, contemplating my intention, I watched the shaman rise from his feet and leave the fire. Shortly thereafter, he returned and sat back down for a minute or two and then got up again and left. He then came back a second time and sat down with an audible sigh. He turned to me and said, I know you've traveled a long way to be here, and I'm sorry to say this, but I can no longer run the ceremony. To which I replied, What do you mean you can't run the ceremony? You just told me I was going to die. But the shaman said, I'm sorry, I'm feeling extremely sick and I just need to go lie down. My daughter will take over from here. She knows what to do. Now, in my hunt to find true medicine, I had skeptically received training in an ancient Japanese technique called Reiki, which is a form of energy medicine where a practitioner channels chi through their hands to heal blockages in the energy field of the patient. At that time, I was still very cynical and agnostic, so... After I received my training and didn't feel any significant shifts in my overall health and well-being, I immediately wrote it off as snake oil pseudoscience and even had asked for my money back. But in this moment of fear and desperation that the shaman was going to leave me right before the mushrooms hit, I blurted out, do you want some Reiki? I just learned Reiki. I haven't worked with it much, but I can try giving you some Reiki if you would like. In which the shaman replied, actually, I'd love some Reiki. So in my last attempt of a desperate man, I stood up from my chair and haphazardly followed the Reiki training I had received a month prior. I stood behind Inlakesh's chair and hovered my hand over the top of his head. After a moment or two, I heard the shaman begin to groan. Confused, I said, Are you okay? Do you want me to stop? In which he replied, No, it feels good. Please keep going. So I awkwardly stood there, leaving my hands hovering above his head, Suddenly, for the first time ever, I felt energy pulsing in my hands, almost like a heartbeat in the center of my palms. 
And the more I placed my awareness on this feeling, the stronger it got, until the sensation was undeniable. The closest thing I had ever felt to this feeling was the pressure felt when taking two magnets and flipping them around so they repel one another. That feeling of pressure pushing back against those magnets is exactly what it felt placing my hands above his head. I sat there with this energy now coursing through me as my entire body began to vibrate accompanied by a feeling of pure and total ecstasy. This was like nothing I had ever experienced in my entire life, and my mind was blown. I remember thinking, holy shit, is this really happening right now, or is this the mushrooms? But we had only taken them 10-15 minutes ago, and I didn't feel like I was tripping. Growing in confidence, I decided to put this Reiki thing to the test, so I kneeled down beside the shaman and hovered my hands over his stomach where he was feeling the sickness. And to my surprise... The sensation of energy in my hands grew even stronger. But the next thing I knew, I started to feel a shooting pain going up my arms and into my heart until it literally felt as if a knife was stabbing me directly in the chest. All of a sudden, my head began to spin and I stumbled backward onto the ground, becoming severely ill and disoriented. Unsure of what was happening to me, I immediately began to panic, questioning what I had gotten myself into. My mind was quickly overcome by fear as I thought, oh my god, what am I doing? I'm messing with witchcraft. The Christians were right. The Christians were right. Overwhelmed with this pain, I began to weep, keeping my head hung so no one could see my tears. That is when, in the corner of my eye, I see the shaman rise to his feet and I hear him say to his daughter, Oh my God, he healed me. He's a Reiki master. That is when I looked up at them in pure anguish and said, what the fuck is happening to me? Suddenly, a look of pity washed over the face of the shaman's daughter. She kneeled down beside me and placed her hand lovingly on my shoulder. She looked me in the eyes and she said, Oh honey, you don't know. You're an empath. I replied, what's an empath? And she said, you feel and take on the pain of others. Still in horrible anguish, I pleaded with her and said, how do I get rid of it? That is when the shaman turned to his daughter and said, this is why we are here. Get the drum. The next thing I knew, they are banging a loud drum over my head, blowing smoke in my face and whistling a haunting song in my ear. And that is when... I felt as if I were dying. And I experienced a merging with this primordial consciousness. An intelligent, ancient, alien, all-pervading force that was obviously far greater than myself, that yet somehow at the same time was also part of myself. I watched as my entire life began to flash before my eyes, as I watched my life play out in pictures, all of it leading up to that very moment, as if part of some grand design. My premature birth, my childhood, my ADHD prognosis, my teen years struggling with the side effects of the medications, my depression, 
my anxiety, my adult years, insufferably searching to find true medicine, everything leading to that very ceremony, as it all culminated in this strange feeling of homecoming, remembering something I had long forgotten, remembering an ancient shamanic path, a path of healing through awakening one's consciousness to the truth of all that is, to the truth of all that we are, the truth that we are all one, we are all connected, we are all family, in this world and the next, and the ideas, beliefs, and identities that disconnected me from that truth was the source of my unrest as it was told to me in that profound experience of union, my persona was pathologized and that I was currently sick because I was told as a child that I was sick with ADHD and I believed them. It was shown to me that my ADHD prognosis was actually just a heightened sensitivity, a sensitivity amplified by humanity's collective evolution toward the universal truth that we are all energetically connected. But in our apathetic society, sensitivity is treated as a weakness. Sensitivity is shamed. Sensitivity is a disease. But the truth of that experience showed me that apathy is the real disease. It is the disease that corrodes our society It is the disease that keeps us subjectifying and exploiting one another for personal gain and profit. It is the disease that keeps us disconnected from each other, the earth, the animal kingdom, and from these unseen forces in the higher dimensions of consciousness. This apathy is the disease that keeps us all from waking up to the fact that we are all connected and that none of us are well until all of us are well, as we share each other's pain energetically, whether we know it or not. When my consciousness returned to my body, I was half naked on the ground, weeping uncontrollably, covered head to toe in the ash from the fire. On the ground next to me, laid my back brace, with my back pain no longer there. I looked up to find the shaman and his daughter looking on as if they have seen it all before, with my two hometown friends standing off to the side, looking on in horror, obviously fearful that I had lost my mind and was having some sort of bad trip. But this wasn't a bad trip at all. I never did wear my back brace ever again. And even after seven years since that fateful day, my back pain has never returned again. This ceremony changed my entire life. And afterward, I took a vow to continue down the plant medicine path and learn as much as I could about sacred plants, ancient healing techniques, shamanism, and this long-forgotten path of healing. As I deepened my training, I felt called to begin to share these tools with my family and loved ones which led to several years of me holding mushroom ceremonies and facilitating private healings for people free of charge. 
as I simply wanted to share the gifts that were given to me. But these healings and ceremonies began to take a toll on me and would often leave me feeling drained and depleted. My entire family began to express concern for my well-being and my parents even sat me down and told me that they thought I needed to stop offering healings for people. But at that time, I couldn't even reconcile the idea of not sharing this with other people. But one night, many years later, while sitting in an ayahuasca circle in Costa Rica, I received a very stern lesson from the spirit of ayahuasca that I was to no longer perform healings on people and that in doing these healings, I was, quote, pandering to the illusion that an external force was going to save them instead of inspiring them to save themselves. I was told by the medicine, do not be the healer, be the healed, share your story. That night, I took a vow to no longer perform healings on people, a vow I have broken many times since and suffered the consequences for each time. But this was also the night that I vowed to share my personal story of healing with you all. It has taken me many years to answer that call, but with the completion of the first season of this podcast, I feel that I have fulfilled that vow. So I would like to leave you all with this final message. You are your own healer. You are your own guru. You are your own teacher. You are your own savior. You are the one you have been looking for. The answers you seek are not outside of yourself, but rather they exist within you. Through a doorway found between the connection of your heart and your mind. But that doorway of perception is your door. No one can open it for you. We can only show you the key that is these sacred medicines and promise you that on the other side, a new world awaits. But you cannot wait to spontaneously combust. For true change, you must set yourself on fire. Yes, psychedelic experiences can be revelatory. It's kind of the remarkable thing about psychedelics. They speak to us on the species level and the individual level. They can be the catalyst for so much psychological, spiritual, and emotional growth. People say that you should have an intention. Sometimes it's better to say, I'm open, teach me what I need to know. If this journey is navigated with care, then it will leave us wiser, more whole, and more capable of reconciling with the nuances and the paradoxes of life. On the flip side, if this journey is not navigated with care, then we run the risk of becoming more destabilized. If we don't really take integration seriously, we run the risk of staying in a space of confusion. Not only are we talking about the trip back to ground level after a spiritual experience, but we're also talking about the journey forward into the rest of our lives. On today's episode, we have several incredible guests coming on to help us wrap up the season, as it is our intention to leave you all with everything you need to begin your healing journey working with psychedelic medicines. 
Our first guest needs no introduction, as he has been described by Time Magazine as one of the top 100 heroes and icons of the century. He is a clinical professor of family medicine and public health at the Universities of California, San Diego, and serves as a senior scientist with the Gallup Organization. He is the author of over 90 books, translated into 43 languages, including many New York Times bestsellers. His new breakout book is called Abundance, The Inner Path to Wealth, and for the last 30 years, he has been at the forefront of the meditation revolution with his insanely popular Chopra meditation and well-being app you can download on your smartphones. Lastly, our guest is the founder of the non-for-profit entity, the Chopra Foundation, as well as Chopra Global a whole health company at the intersection of science and spirituality, which has been doing incredible work to combat mental health and suicide via their global campaign called Never Alone. Now, without further ado, we are pleased to welcome the legendary, the iconic, Dr. Deepak Chopra. The Awakened Underground Podcast. From a scientific and spiritual perspective, how do psychedelic medicines work? Why are they such incredible medicines and tools for the people who have been using them? Okay, obviously there's a lot of literature on how psychedelics work. I can give you a few mechanisms. One is that almost all psychedelics increase the activity of something called the serotonin sub-beta receptor. So it's a, it they enhance the activity of what is called 5-hydroxytryptamine and serotonin, which creates an internal state of euphoria. And when you have an internal state of euphoria, sometimes mild, sometimes, you know, very magnified, that leads to what is called self-regulation or self-homeostasis, um, which would be the healing response. When people have trauma, either physical or mental, emotional trauma, any kind of trauma, the trauma can surface later as anger, hostility. It can surface as the anticipation of trauma, again, what is called fear, which can all be self-directed sometimes and can lead to humiliation, shame and guilt, and ultimately the depletion of energy with all of the above leads to depression and inflammation, which is linked both with men- to mental illness. Of course, there are certain mental illnesses, uh, acute psychosis where you need in immediate pharmaceutical intervention, but mental distress, ultimately depression, has a wide range from mild sadness to all the way suicidal ideation. And mental illness uh, in these forms um, is also associated with chronic physical inflammation, which in turn is associated with uh, chronic uh, disease, including diabetes, metabolic syndrome, autoimmune illnesses, some types of cancer. So that's one mechanism, the biological mechanism, where you enhance the activity of certain neuropeptides including serotonin, their receptors enhance self-regulation or healing. Now, psychedelics in general, from mushrooms to fungi in all their forms, 
you know, there are lots of mushrooms. Psilocybin is the active ingredient. And then there's ayahuasca and these days ibogaine and ketamine, MDMA, and also, of course, the original LSD, which um, started the whole revolution. So now when you start to look at these substances, what they do this, very interesting. First of all, almost all psychedelics, including the ones I mentioned, psilocybin, ketamine, MEAO, um, MDMA, they decrease the activity of a part of a brain called the default mode network. The default mode network is where the neural correlates of our ego identity are. So, you know, a lot of our behavior comes from <coughs> a runamuck ego that uh, is always <coughs> looking at the world as separate from us. So you are separate. The trees are separate. When in fact, we all live in an ecosystem of both personal, professional, and even what I might say, biological ecosystems. Our biologies are part of the matrix of an ecosystem of both marine life and also the ecology of the earth, the microbes of the earth. So 99% of your genes are actually not human genes, but they're um, bacterial genes. Technically speaking, we are... Um, host to a bacterial colony. Only 25,000 genes are human. These bacterial genes um, reside in your gut, in your brain, in your skin, in all the openings of your body. And they're principally responsible interacting with human genes for what we call self-regulation as well of the body. 80% of the serotonin in your body comes from your gut, not from your brain. So there's bi-directional traffic from the brain to the body through the vagus nerve and then from the body to the brain, including the gut. What do psychedelics do in addition to decreasing the activity of the default mode network? They may increase self-regulation in the microbiome, which is the genetic on and off of these genes that are responsible for self-regulation. But here's something that people are not really talking about, but it's part of the research. Psychedelics remove the deep conditioning of our minds, which actually restricts our awareness to a very small aspect of perception, the human electromagnetic band that we have access to, the five senses, sound, touch, sight, taste, and smell, and vision also. So when a child is born, automatically you're given a name. Okay, your name is Cody Blue, you're Deepak Chopra. Now, as soon as you get a name, you get an identity. You also get a racial identity and ethnic identity. And you get an identity which is false in the sense that you think you're separate from the objects of your perception or from what we call the big biosphere. These are human constructs. What we call the trees are lungs. If it didn't breathe, you wouldn't breathe. What we call the ocean and the rivers 
are our circulation. The air is our breath and the earth is recycling as your body. And um, even the carbon, hydrogen, oxygen that's circulating in your blood right now, most 99.9999% of all the atoms um, are recycling through your body. They are basically life uh, recycling through you. So we actually have a perceptual trick that says I am separate from the universe. And that is reinforced generation after generation through what we call racial identity, ethnic identity, religious identity, economic identity, national identity, which are all provisional false constructs. So, you know, there's no little Deepak sitting inside my brain looking at the wind through these eyes at the world. And there's no Cody Blue either out there because what we call human consciousness, there's a reducing valve. That's the vocabulary Aldous Huxley, whose wife, Laura Huxley, was a close friend. He was the original pioneer who wrote Brave New World and all those great books under the influence of LSD. He said, our normal consciousness is like a reducing valve. This brain reduces it to a narrow segment of what we call perceptual activity in our consciousness, which we call the physical world and the physical universe. And this is a false belief. This is a false belief. That what we call the universe and the world are human constructs for a one universal ecosystem of sentient beings, marine, plant life, biological organisms, a mode of perceptions also, but so are physical objects. This, this, this iPhone I'm holding in my hand, this computer, these are physical objects, but actually they're not. They're modalities of perception. As modalities of perception, they exist in our awareness. Whereas when people watch us right now, where is the sound? It's not in their brain. It's not even in the world. The sound is in their awareness. This, these colors, shapes are on the computer are in your awareness. So when you go beyond all this deep, deep, deep conditioning, then you experience what is called wholeness. You experience that you and the universe are one. And that ultimately also is such an ineffable experience that people can't describe it because it cannot be expressed in words, that you feel yourself infinite without limitations, connected to all that is. The closest word would be the intoxication of being in love, but not in love with an object, being in love at existence. Primordial original state of existence, awareness, truth, goodness, beauty, harmony, love, compassion, joy, equanimity, loss of the fear of death, what we call the original religious experience, whether it's Moses or Jesus or Muhammad or, uh, or Rumi or St. John of the Cross or Buddha, it doesn't matter. You break through what we call our collective dream into who is dreaming. And you find out you're dreaming and you're the divine having a particular dream at the moment. And that's very liberating because you lose your physical identity, you find your spiritual identity, you find truth and goodness and beauty and harmony, and also you lose the fear of death because that which is very fundamental, the formless you, 
is beyond birth and death. So that's essentially the mystical, spiritual, religious experience. Now many names are given, many explanations are given, but also people are having those experiences as lucid, terminal lucidity when they're dying. And we understand that there's a bigger truth of which we are part and that what we call the everyday existence that we call normal is actually a lucid dream in the vivid vivid now. And when you break through the dream, then you wake up. That's it. That was so well said and so perfect, but you just cut to the core of everything we've tried to talk about on the show. And that is connection and disconnection and the reconnection to this universal oneness and also this illusion of separation, this isolation, this discord, this disconnect that is the source of all major mood disorders. And that leads me to ask you this illusion of separation, this illusion that we are not all connected. And the fact that these psychedelics on a perceptual level teach us and show us that we truly are all connected. What does that tell us about the nature of disease? And then, and then, and what, why is this illusion being perpetuated? Is it just the human consciousness just dropped so far that we've been Essentially, we're in a collective hallucination where we are living and breathing and believing that we are all disconnected. I mean, what does this imply? What What we call everyday reality is a somehow integrated collective hallucination, which is the um, the uh, basically collective belief system of separation that has been perpetuated um, through human constructs. Um, for at least 40,000 years. So up until 30, 40,000 years, human beings, um, there were eight different kinds of human species. We are called homo sapiens, means the wise ones. And we, of course, gave ourselves that name. But then we gave other species names like Neanderthals, Florences. So just like in the cat family, you have You have a house cat, panther, lion, cheetah, but they're all different species, but they're one family. There were eight to 10 human beings in the human family. And they all had a language for mating and danger and food. So those are survival languages, mating, danger, and food. All species have them. Then one species, us, we actually created a language for story to be human is to have a story. First stories were gossip, and they're still the most frequent stories. 40,000 years later, the most frequent story is still gossip. But human stories led to human constructs, like money, like latitude, like Greenwich Mean Time, like nation states, like separation. And that actually, in a way, can be called the fall from grace, the fall uh, from innocence, which gave us the ability to create virtual reality. We're speaking in virtual reality, not realizing we're already in a simulation. And this is just the extension of the virtual reality. But that's another story. What we did was we forgot that the map is not the territory. Like just like the menu is not the meal. You can't go and eat the menu. You have to eat the meal. So we sacrificed existence and the experience of existence for the description of existence. And we created models. And the model that's the most, in a way, tenacious and leads to most problems is 
that um, me and the other. There is no, neither me here nor the other there. What we call me and the other is an artificial subject-object split. And that makes it possible to do science and create technology and extend the experience of the fictional character that you and I are in this collective dreamscape. Now, these compounds allow us to wake up to what I call the real self. Right now, your body mind is your selfie and your real self is infinite and unbounded and irreducible and untouchable and not subject to birth or death and not in time. Without it, there's no experience, but it itself is the source of all experience. So you move from your selfie to yourself. This, this, is, this reality is a projected reality, including the body, mind, and the universe. And so one of the reasons we have social injustice, we have a climate change, we have war, we have terrorism, we have eco-destruction, we have extinction of species. Everything is moving in the direction of a collective suicide, of the collective dreamscape, and of the collective uh, fictional characters called Cody and Deepak Chopra and all these other guys. So unless we wake up, then this particular dream uh, is going in the direction of extinction. If we wake up, then the same technologies, everything, we can create a more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier, and joyful world. And that will require a collective consciousness that wakes up and ups, ups, upgrades this dream that we're projecting right now. Because right now, it's not even a dream. It's a nightmare. So, you know, that's how these substances work. And that's the value of these conversations. Other than this, there will be other techniques, you know, uh, that take the yogic um, disciplines to, to much deeper level, but also things like vagal stimulation, augmented reality, immersive dreamscapes, the new web, not 3.0, but 4.0, where we'll have our, we'll, won't have this interface, you and I and our avatars could meet anywhere in any galaxy instantly, etc., etc. So we can use the same technology to create a more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier world. But first we have to also realize that we are bamboozled by the superstition of matter. There's no such substance. If everything you just said implies that we are in a collective mass hallucination perpetuated by our conscious unconsciousness, so does that mean that the implications of psychedelics moving to the mainstream and these consciousness medicines being integrated into society, that we can actually shift our collective hallucination into one that is more in alignment with universal connection and see a completely different reality on a perceptual level in the near future? Yes, <clears throat> but it needs it needs um, careful guidance from those who have experiences, uh, either from wisdom traditions or shamanic traditions, or from you know professionally um, who have trained themselves. And it's always good to integrate the science with the experience and the other and understanding what's happening to the brain, the gamma waves the receptors, the peptides, the connectome, the default mode network, 
because these are correlates of thousands of years of the hypnosis of social conditioning through the separate divided mind, which is also part of the hallucination. Have you worked with psychedelic medicines before? Yeah, I constantly do. And um, I've, um, you know, work with a very well-known um, physician, MD, I'm a physician too, but she's also a scholar as far as psychedelics concerned. She works at NYU here in Boston and we together are doing a lot of research, both clinical and also uh, collecting all the science of the other people who are engaged in the same research. I, you know what? I guess I'd like to, if we have time for one more question, would you like to share any of your most profound psychedelic experiences with us? My most profound, actually, psychedelic experience was in medical school at the age of 18. And it was under, it was with LSD under supervision from uh, Harvard Medical School with other medical students from Harvard. And uh, we had had different experiences. I had, uh, I was in an environment where we were looking at a poster of Mother Teresa. And in those days, the myth was that when she kissed people with leprosy, the leprosy healed. Now, there's science behind that too. But I happened to be watching this poster and I had the most intense experience of what is called compassion, love, unity, consciousness, enlightenment. And it happened twice at the age of 18. And after that, I have always known there's a fundamental truth which um, we don't experience because we are tricked by our senses, the magical lies of our sensory experience. So since then, I've supervised other people. I've taken people through terminal phases during their dying process, treated, helped treat patients with psychological and medical disorders. So that's all I have to say. I'm happy to support this research and will continue to do so through the Chopra Foundation, www.neveralone.love and chopraFoundation.org. Thank you so much, Deepak. We appreciate you taking the time to come on. Thank you, Cody. Our next guests are the brilliant Cole Crawford and Shirley Wantland, two beloved medicine sisters who are coming on the show to share with us everything you need to know to begin your healing journey working with psychedelic medicines. Cole is a certified psychedelic integration transformational recovery coach certified Reiki healer, and shamanic practitioner. Over the years, Cole has organized countless medicine ceremonies for me, my family, and friends, with the results of tremendous healing for us all. She collaborates with some of the most gifted medicine carriers in the world and is the first person I go to when I have a loved one who is sick and looking to work with entheogenic medicines. Cole currently serves as the subject matter expert on psychedelic and alternative treatments for the powerhouse firm Recovery Consultants, which was founded by Shirley Wantland. Shirley is also the CEO of Recovery Consultants, which provides a full continuum of recovery services to individuals and families struggling with substance use disorder, mental health, and behavioral health issues. Shirley has her Bachelor's of Science in Biology and Psychology and has been in the healthcare industry for over 18 years in the pharmaceutical 
and behavioral health industries. We are excited to announce that Shirley and Cole have created a brand new groundbreaking company called The Work, a premier psychedelic preparation, integration, education, and transformational recovery firm a firm that merges their collective decades of experience working in both the clinical mental health space and the shamanic healing space. This is a revolutionary new company, and we strongly suggest that anyone who is interested in working with psychedelic medicines go check out their website, www.the-work.us, where you can make an appointment for a free 20-minute consultation where they will personally help guide you along your journey of healing with psychedelic medicines. But first, let's see what they have to share with us on this week's episode. Would the two of you like to start by telling me your personal story uh, all the way to working with plant medicines uh, and kind of how you got to this point? And either one of you can kind of take the talking yeah. stick and go first. It's yeah. Balls in your I'm happy to, to start things off and just kind of share my journey in this. It's been a long process to get here and the work continues. But um, yeah, I was introduced to the medicine by a mutual girlfriend of ours who had an amazing experience. She called me up and told me and she's like, oh my gosh, this is what happened. And it was amazing and you should do it. And at the time I was not quite ready. Everything she said sounded very confusing to me. Very, you know, I'm like a very type A science. Like I was a biology and psychology major. I'm like that. Like there were just things that didn't resonate with me or I couldn't quite grasp or understand at the time. And so fast forward a few years passed and I was dealing, I mean, significant trauma in my past. And what came forefront at the time was a very painful relationship in my life where I didn't quite understand why it had come in my life, where it was. And I didn't was going to therapy, doing all the things, but not finding the right answers. So I felt very called to the medicine. I was like, fuck it, let's give this a shot, right? And um, sat for my my first ceremony with uh, with ayahuasca with grandmother and had such, and people say this all the time, like a very life-altering experience. And it was kind of the first where it's like, whew, like I sat with it for a while and tried to understand and make sense of it. And Grandmother can be a little confusing at times, right? So the message for me at that moment was lead with love and it'll always be right. All the other things, fears, concerns, that's it's not going to serve you. Lead with love. And that's uh, that's been, been my experience and my process. And we'll get into it a little bit later and how that intersects with recovery consultants. But just having that sort of personal experience and process you know, I'm in the space of helping individuals and families navigate their own healing in more traditional, typically traditional kind of Western uh, ways through therapy, psychiatry, those sort of modalities. And yes, there's healing, but this is such like a fast track to it, uh, a, a different perspective. So that's how I've come into the medicine and it's been, you know, my process and it's continual. We're, we're all, we're all still in the work, but, uh, that's a little bit of my story. So beautiful. And I love a really cool thing about the two of you is you represent these sort of 
people's two sides of the coin of the same coin. So it's super cool that, you know, if your background in psychology and biology and your work within the allopathic, uh, traditional, uh, you know, mental health and addiction systems. Cole, you want to give us a little bit uh, about kind of how you came to the, yeah, to the, to absolutely. the cup in this work? You know, gosh, nearly 10 years ago, I was at a place in my journey uh, navigating, trying to heal from a very serious eating disorder, uh, a lot of trauma, a lot of sexual trauma in my life, and and had not found relief in pharmaceuticals or in programs or in the therapist's office and and had been trying to navigate really how to get better on my own and really did everything in my power to shift. And I I couldn't find a way to break through. And through like synchronicities that read stranger than fiction, I overheard about this medicine on on set, on a commercial set many, many, many years ago. And the moment I heard the name ayahuasca, I had a lightning bolt go through my body and I just knew that that was going to be the way for me to heal. Wow. And it took more than a year of a lot of self-torture and doubt and internal struggle to actually make it to my, my first ceremony with Grandmother Medicine um, that irrevocably changed my life, changed the entire trajectory of my path. Not only did in that moment I experience what I can really only describe as a miraculous healing um, that enabled me to continue on my journey uh, in an upward trajectory. This medicine saved my life, period, um, and forever altered the course of my work in the world, um, which is a surprise to me uh, more than anyone else in, in my in my life. If yeah, me you, too. <laughs> okay, and uh, and it's it's been really a, a journey from there, a, a journey of continued healing, uh, continued exploration. Um, I since you know I have worked both personally and you know in service with many many different ethnogens and have studied and trained and and have held space uh, and have learned from from growing community internationally and this is kind of where i find myself today there's actually a quote that i really love by an author whose name presently escapes me but she said something along the lines of you know as i was going through my journey i felt that i was stumbling left and stumbling right until i reached the zenith of the mountain, and I could look behind me and see I was walking in a straight line the whole time. And that really feels very true <laughs> yeah. to, to my, my journey on this path as we are all learning and growing as people uh, on this path, whichever path that we choose. You know, I, I really believe that that's one of the crucibles of life is, is really to continue to know, continue to heal, continue to grow. And it can be very difficult in the moment to really understand the whys or the where it is all going uh, until we hit um, milestones in our lives and are able to look back and be like, wow, I am so guided. I'm really, I am putting one foot in front of the other. And and that's what the last 10 years on this path has been for me. Of course, my own healing, um, continuing to learn, to study, to support uh, some of the most gifted carriers of alternative healing modalities and personal mastery knowledge that I've ever met. I feel so lucky to have so much of the real thing in my life um, and to uh, humbly step up in service of where I can 
um, has kind of been what led to the formulation of Light Warrior, which has predominantly been an organization that has walked people through their process, uh, has held their hand, you know, helped with preparation, helped with navigation, helped with integration, really was able to come to be an ally and to bring all of my learnings, all of my teachings, um, and an offer of peer-level support for those who felt called to do this work but didn't really know where to start. Um, so that's kind of led me to where I am in this intersection of time. Uh, over the last couple of, of, of years, I've really doubled down on what I feel is the most important element to these medicines, and that is, of course, integration. It is wonderful that we can trip through the astrals and like visit past lives and have these incredibly cathartic sometimes, oftentimes, deeply challenging, yet infinitely beautiful experiences, I recognize on my own journey that none of that really holds much water until and unless I can bring that back to like my real everyday waking life. You know, this work to me is so incredibly human. And it's can we, can we double down on the humanity within this path? Right, right. You know, can we support each other on, on really refining and finding, um, you know, what that looks like for each one of us and then be able to actually apply that, right. you know, to our lives. And that's one thing I want to attest to because, I mean, Shirley, I don't know if you know this, but Cole is my, for the past, I don't know, seven years, whatever it's been, <laughs> I mean, Cole's my, like, I, I feel like it's a, a weekly occurrence or monthly occurrence. I'm, I'm, I just, when I have someone that wants to come to the medicine and I don't have the ability to hold their hand uh, and I try to hold their people in my life's hand to the cup or to whatever medicine they need as much as I can, but it's a lot, especially with the legality of it all. But I, I just send them to Cole. So I, I, you know, and she does that. That's what she does. She shepherds people in any way possible. And it's so cool to have you two intersecting with your new company uh, and coming together. And I'd love to hear sort of what the merging of Light Warriors, uh, your underground operation, which is super rad, uh, and recovery consultants. And uh, I would love to hear sort of the intersection of this and like what this looks like and where you're at right now as these yeah. medicines are coming to the mainstream. Yeah, I uh, I think for Cole and I, we've had this conversation for a while, it's you know, been being in this for a work, long time. Yeah. It's been a process. And I think both of us are in alignment of feeling very called to help provide another option for people who are suffering and stuck and want something different. Uh, you know, within Recovery Consultants, we've been doing this for the past eight years, helping individuals and families really navigate their way through what are the resources, what are the options within mental health? How can, how can one get well? And, you know, in my experience in the last eight years, just kind of going through this rigmarole of the tried and true, the, the, the therapist, the, tr the rehab centers, it's just, there's so much that is missing. I think there is a big lens of psycho-spiritual shamanic piece that's missing in our traditional way that we treat mental health and addiction. And then we wonder why people keep cycling through the same old things. You know, unfortunately, by the time some people come to me, they've been to 15, 20 rehabs, and then they're looking for another one. And I'm like, what? Let's, let's pause for a second. Let's take a look. What is missing? Because it's 
you do treatment really well, clearly. It's what's missing in life. And I think there is kind of this greater, I believe philosophically, most of us are very disconnected from ourselves and from others. And I think that there, there are many modalities to, to reconnect. But I think that uh, in my experience personally, you know, and professionally, just seeing the impact that plant medicine can have to ignite that love that we have deep inside for ourselves and that connection, that's the healing piece. Right. And uh, Cole and I are coming together because we feel that as people are navigating mental health and addiction, I think that plant medicine should be a viable option for the right person. And we need to have a, a more open mind around it and see it as a viable option rather than some of the misperceptions and misunderstandings that are out there in the general public. Oh, it's just another drug that people are just doing and they're missing the point. And clearly we're not talking about recreational use. We're talking about in the space of medicine work and healing. But um, yeah, that's been, that's been my evolution and recovery consultants evolution. <laughs> hey gang, We'll be back with more after this quick break. And now back to our regular schedule deprogramming. What do you think? So you talked two fascinating things you said. One is about what's missing. Mm-hmm. You called it uh, a psycho-spiritual shamanic component. Yeah. So is it that we're just treating this mentalistically? Like this is like something wrong within the mind and you think there's a, a part of this triangle this from the mind body the spirit part of it yes how how do you feel like this could be applied within the current allopathic treatment model you've been working in i think it can be an adjunct i think it can be in lieu of but to to answer your first question cody i do think there is kind of and we we this happens in our culture like things are very siloed right i mean how many medical doctors ask about your mental health when you come in for a visit. Huh. It's very sectionalized. They're treating the code for insurance that can get billed. They're just sectioning off parts where we know we collectively exist as a whole. Right. And that's where I think the missing pieces, and it's been kind of the same for mental health, focus on the biochemistry, right, of the brain and get get that right and get that alignment. But we're still missing kind of this bigger spiritual peace. And when I say spiritual, I don't mean like just finding God, like we're talking about like finding yourself, like right. loving yourself. Same thing, and right? That's what, yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's like the, the what I want to clarify, you know, where I'm coming from because I don't want he- people to hear spiritual and to think, oh God, um, you know, it doesn't have to be. So. I mean, we know scientifically that we used to think everything was physical. Now right. there is. Yeah. The symptom is not the source. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. And it is really interesting, sort of this intellectual compartmentalization and segregation, separation within the, the medical system that's removed this vitalistic, holistic system of looking at our health. That we do it in the world as well. Yeah. The specialization model has fragmented us. You yes. know, same with this classism or racism, any, any of these things. We're fragmenting ourselves and not viewing us as a whole. I'm a big proponent of holism. So, I mean, hearing a little bit of that, Cole, and because you said you went on your own healing journey using the traditional methods of pharmaceuticals, therapy, did you feel that there was a, a psycho-spiritual, shamanic, so to speak, pers- 
element that was missing that you found in plant medicine? I mean, at at the at the mm. very least, um, <laughs> you know. I mean, my personal journey. I, you know, I went through years of 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 misdiagnoses and like compartmentalizations and labels and, you know, in and out of offices where no one even asked me what happened. Oof. Okay, no one asked me what happened. You know, I mean, when I when I was nineteen years old, I had a breakdown, um, full breakdown, and and I was already pretty deep into into my eating disorder and to struggle with bulimia um you know and there was a, a lot of of really very difficult circumstances both in my family life um and also what was going on with me personally um you know about three weeks before the breakdown you know i had escaped a three-day sexual assault and Ooh. and um and not a single and was so was so traumatized I, I couldn't even speak to it. I was so decompartmentalized. I was so disassociated in myself. I, I, I didn't even think to share what had happened, nor did anyone ask. And I think that that's one of the really interesting things about, you know, the mental system, health system that we have right now. And I have so much compassion, really, for the model, because ultimately, our doctors, our, our, our mental health professionals are, are, are trained within a model, you know, to take the scientific knowledge of, mm -hmm. of, of, of data and study, you know, to identify symptomology and to find a solution for that symptomology. I think the intention ultimately is good, even though it misses the mark. Yeah. And, you know, through my own experience, you know, having come through and recognizing all throughout this, I don't feel good. I don't feel better. Something is missing. What is it that is missing? And I feel that I share this with so, so many people where, you know, I am someone who I needed to experience it for myself. I needed to be able to see myself in my healing journey. I needed to be at the center of my journey, of my own hero's journey. I am the hero in my story. We are the heroes within our stories. So when we're looking at frameworks of transformation, when we're looking at potentialities for healing, can we step into a model or can we bring elements of many existing models? Because there's value in a lot of things depending on who you are, what you believe, you know, what your history is, what it is that you're navigating. Um, you know, there is not a one-size-fits-all approach to your own yes. healing actualization. Right. That's the beauty yes. of medicine. It meets you where you are. It meets yes. you where you are. Yes. And, and, you know, one of the things around this path is it also gives you an opportunity. And I think this is cross-spectrum with all ethnogenic medicines. It gives you an opportunity to be in the hot seat of your own journey, you know, of your own healing in a bigger context. It allows you to take a look into your psyche, to separate yourself from your own waking life lens of perception, to receive a clearer, bigger picture of perhaps exactly what is operating. You know, it took me years to actually start to uncover some of the root of what was going on with me. You know, when we dissolve challenges, we dissolve traumas, maladaptive coping mechanisms, you know, it's an interesting dance. And I, and I, and what I love so much about this particular path, um, you know, about the alternative path of wellness, of wholeness, you know, is the nonlinear nature mm -hmm. of this journey. 
uh, of the journey in its totality. Because uh, it's very much similar to life. You know, we, we go through our lives very much like the quote, tripling and stumbling on our path, not necessarily feeling like we are walking in a straight line, only to discover that indeed, you know, we are. And I think with plant medicines, we have an opportunity with plant medicines and psychedelics, you know, we have an opportunity to, to engage our own personal process in a way that can work alongside of many transformational modalities that are a little bit more uh, researched or accepted to, as a catalyst for greater transformation as a catalyst to be able to anchor a greater transformational healing process on our path. And wild. So does, I I couldn't agree more with everything you're saying, both of you. So what does that model look like to you? I mean, being, especially because it's interesting when you have to take kind of this allopathic model where there's, there's sort of distortions from the and th- from there's distortions from the private sector, from you know the le- legalities that have mm-hmm. to be circumvented. How do you merge those worlds? And Cole, I've watched you, you know how you hold space and bring people together, and you know I've been someone you've walked through that process and watched you walk my friends and my family through that process. And uh, you know, I mean, surely, how do you come in here to take sort of what Cole's been doing in the underground to bring it into the mainstream and make sure it's you know it can fit in the box without being trapped in said box. Well, I think that Cole and I are so aligned and that's the the reason that we are working together to bring the work kind of into the world is, you know, recovery consultants has always taken the stance. I've always taken the stance that everyone is different. Like people call me, call us when they're in crisis, right? Something's happened. And in their emotional state, they want to know what rehab are they going to? What rehab are they going to send their kid to? And it's the call and it's the frantic, where, where, where? And I have to hold the space and then step back a second and create the structure. Cole and I, we live in the where. We know all the programs and all the resources. What we don't know is the who, what, how, why. So we work really in-depthly to understand what is the struggle and what are the goals so that when we put together recommendations that they are customized to the individual rather than just kind of a blanket, just send them here, you know. Um, we, I believe that all treatments are different. There are nuances and there are things that fit some people and another uh, might be completely different. So that's, that's a question I get a lot is, you know, people from within the industry will say, where do you refer to? And I'm like, who's the person? It depends, right? I don't have like a go-to stock like I send everyone here. It's like, well, it just, it totally depends. And I think that's where Cole and I are aligned that, you know, in her work, it's also highly individualized, you know, and I'll I'll let her speak to that. But that's, that's the sort of model that we work under. There's a heavy assessment beginning part to really understand what is it that we're looking at here and to kind of slow down the chaos a little bit and create some structure in there and some love and some handholding. And let's figure something out that's going to work rather than just throwing darts at the wall and whatever sticks first is where we go. You know, I I don't find that to be the most effective uh, approach to it. Yeah. You know, I think we, we find ourselves at like the precipice of a very, very exciting time in our like collective journey 
uh, as humanity for many, many reasons. You know, and especially in the emergence and in the, the, the widening of, of psychedelic therapies as a viable option, as something that is now out of the underground, really entering into really a center stage of kind of the next evolution and how we are meeting and dealing with, with a, a, an entire spectrum of, of challenges. And within that, what I have seen to be the most needed components of support are in preparation are in integration and also in like the through line of the transformational journey. So where, you know, Shirley and recovery consultants, and I'm so grateful for, you know, this journey and really being able to learn from her. You know, when we look at the mental health model as is, we we speak a lot to and look a lot at the continuum of care and wanting to migrate over the continuum of care into kind of our own uh, into into a framework that kind of exists in the realm of ethnogenic supported transformational journeys. Uh, one of my teachers, um, I'm really grateful for a journey that I took, um, a long uh, studied journey. I am officially a certified psychedelic integration and transformational recovery coach. Amazing. So working to bring the experience that I've had in the shamanic realm for many, many, many years uh, and meet to meet the, the, the framework of a more traditional mental health model, being able to merge those two things, you know, together. So when we're looking at how do we come together to bring the allopathic model of the West to the psycho-spiritual, you know, realm, um, to give people the most well-rounded, uh, well-rounded support structure to navigate their own journeys um, is 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 really kind of what we what we have in front of us, uh, and what I think that ultimately looks like is you know we we also live in a realm of legalities where we are also working to navigate, you know, what can we do? This is all yeah. very, this is happening now. Yeah, it's um, real time. Yes. Real this time. is happening real time. now. And it's, really, it's really very exciting. Yeah. Um, so how can we bring, uh, ultimately for me, and I think for Shirley as well, what we, what we most want to offer for those who feel called is an opportunity for deep education and learning, you know, where we're not, inserting our truths or what is real for yeah. us into anyone's process, where we can give the tools, we can give the knowledge, we can give the education, and we can ultimately bring curiosity in a way that also is able to track and help to reflect back and provide allyship along the path that is allowing and empowering people to step into their own agency, lean into their own discomfort, get real, real honest mm. about where they are, what matters, what's missing, what hurts. What is hard and also what is calling them forward and to provide some structured framework to that so they can make more material steps forward in the direction of where they want to go, which is yeah. ultimately just a return back to true self, true nature, yes. to wholeness. Right. Yes. And I feel like that's the beautiful thing about this medicine is yeah. it gives someone a tool to realize that they are their own doctor, guru, priest. Absolutely. They they to empower them to see their themselves in all their divinity and and to to, to give them a tool to access that inner power that's been suppressed and programmed out of them. Mm -hmm. Love everything you're saying. Mm -hmm. It's so spot on. Can you take us through so like what I would love from 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 our conversation today is can you take the audience from the beginning to the end, right? So let's say if 
uh, if they will, if they are feeling the call to the medicine, they're listening to the show and they're curious, but they don't know where to start. Uh, I know this is a complicated uh, question to ask, but could we at least, as a simulation for them, kind of walk them through the beginning of of the process of coming to the medicine and uh, transforming through it, integrating that into your daily life, and sort of start with how if people want to get off their pharmaceutical medication, where where do they what do they do? How do they do it properly and safely? Yeah. You know, I mean, and this is too, this is, this is a collaboration with physicians, ultimately. You know, when we're looking at, there are many, many different options in the, in, in the space of, of ethnogens, um, from, from, you know, from some of the psychedelic therapies, you've got MDMA, you have ketamine, you know, emerging, uh, emerging now as well. We'll see psilocybin become more widely, you know, available. And then you have what ultimately exists you know, ceremonially or clinically outside of the country with, I mean, one of the most, I believe, powerful and important medicines for early childhood trauma and what we've seen in our practice in addiction, uh, iboga, ibogaine. Uh, of course, ayahuasca, 5-MUI-DMT, um, mescaline, whether peyote, San Pedro, uh, and I'm sure that there are a handful that uh, I am I am missing. Mm. You so, hit the big ones. Mm-hmm, I think I hit the major <laughs> ones. Um, so you've got kind of first step is, you know, is you're feeling the call, you know, and my encouragement is really to first and foremost sit with that call. Where do you feel intuitively you're being guided? Are you feeling called by grandmother medicine? Do you feel like you would like to get into an IOP program working with ketamine? Where do you feel intuitively you would like to begin? What feels comfortable for you? Can you walk us through the differences between those medicines? I know there's a bunch, but like you're kind of hitting like, you know, the big five entheogens and if, and the three synthetics of ketamine, MDMA, and yeah. surgic acid. Even if you just give us sort of like you know, kind of like chronologically from ease to intensity to give us, give us a little overview. I know this is, this is our, we could go spend a lot of time on this, but yeah. you really help our audience to sort of see where they are. You know, I would, I would in, because each medicine is so unique to each person, our journeys are so unique. One person's like ayahuasca experience, okay, full-blown ayahuasca experience could be another person's experimenting with a couple grams of psilocybin at home. Um, it really is. True. It's so it's so varied and so wide, but we can talk macro microdosing. You know, I mean, I think microdosing is an incredibly viable, beautiful place to, you know, to begin. Um, ultimately, I think in the landscape that we live in, really a, a client or a participant's self-elected use of these substances is is, you know, is I can neither uh, legally encourage or uh, or discourage the use of ethnogenic medicine. Um, but, you know, we have kind of what is in the legal realm for those who ultimately feel most comfortable uh, working within more of an allopathic model, mm-hmm. um, more of a bridge model, which I'm like so grateful to the MAPS organization and so many yeah. of the incredible psychotherapists that are out there really working to bring, you know, the best practices and, you know, the most uh, the most interesting and holistic frameworks within the psychotherapeutic landscape, you know, and coupling those with, with the plant medicines. So, you know, I am personally most familiar, of course, with ayahuasca, personally, iboga, psilocybin, 5-AMUI-DMT, um, and, uh, and early on my personal journey with, uh, with ketamine and, you know, experimenting um, with uh, LSD in a microdosing format. Um, 
And I, again, I just think it is so individuated. Uh, what we're seeing is a lot of people who, at least in the realm of a of, of very serious chronic addiction, mm-hmm. we're seeing turn to look to Ibogaine clinics to work with Iboga, which is an, a very serious medicine, a very powerful, very beautiful, very serious medicine. Hey, gang, pardon the interruption. We'll be back after a quick break from our sponsors. Sorry for the interruption. More Awakened Underground now. So before we even, because my question is sort of like, how do people get off pharmaceutical medications? But let's, what maladies can the psychedelic medicines treat? Have you, and you can say, you can if you can speak from personal experience or from what you've seen, I know you've facilitated hundreds of people, uh, you know, he, he, their healing journeys to the medicine, maybe thousands, who knows, what have you witnessed people heal working with these compounds before we go into how they can get off their pharmaceutical meds? Yeah, I mean, I have seen recovery from eating disorders, trauma, depression, anxiety, gosh, uh, PTSD, mm. uh, chronic pain, fibromyalgia. Um, I mean, trauma on a, 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 mm-hmm. a wide, wide, wide spectrum. Uh, I have seen people he- heal or use this on a, as a tool on their transformational journeys from, you know, many chronic health, you know, conditions and concerns, um, from, from also just like a deep sense of, of, of disconnection. Um, I think we live in a world that teaches us how to live outside in and not inside out. Mm-hmm. And so many who, and I think a big part of my practice, so many who have like reached the pinnacle of their goals and their dreams, they have reached the pinnacle of success in their mind, but find themselves unhappy or feeling empty and not understanding why. Uh, So I think that you have both the opportunity to work with ethnogens to heal very specific concerns that may fall along the spectrum of mental health. uh, And you also have kind of the other side, the seeker side, Um, you know, something that I love that is said a lot is when we show up as students, we get teachers. When we show up as patients, we get a doctor. And I think Mm. that that is something that is very interesting, um, is something that's very interesting to experience kind of along the path is I think first and foremost to identify where you fall. You know, are you, are you feeling this call that you can't quite put your finger on that is calling you towards something more? Or is there something immediately in your circumstances that you've struggled with for a long time that you need to shift and heal? And I I think that's important for each individual person to have an awareness of and an understanding of, because that's going to inform the trajectory of their journey from there. And when we start to look at safety, you know, the first thing that we consider, of course, the first thing that I guide clients along is just to take a complete inventory of, of like a medical inventory pre-existing conditions, pharmaceuticals, um, you know, and, and, and truly like a history of, of, of trauma. Yeah. Uh, so we have kind of the full picture of what it is that we are navigating. Um, many of these medicines carry contraindications. And essentially what that means is there are ethnogenic medicines that are not safe 
to use while there is the presence of some pharmaceutical drugs within the system. So there is a process of detoxification, uh, an additional layer to what is considered or called traditionally the dieta that we look at that is done in conjunction with a doctor. Um, I am not a medical doctor. Shirley yeah. is not a medical doctor. No. We do work in tandem with many medical doctors um, to ultimately basically advise. We can advise and also your facilitator whomever it is that you self-elect to work with, wherever that might be, you know, should be aware of what the contraindications are, should be asking you also these questions. And if they are not, then that might be something that you would want to reflect on why. That's a that's a yeah. huge red flag, something to look out for yes, as we absolutely. navigate yeah. this time in the yeah. culture. And I got to say, I love, I think it's the most ironic thing in the world that one of the greatest dangers of working with entheogens is Pharmaceutical medication <laughs> pharmaceutical is medication. that's like the key contraindication. Yeah, surely. I, I wanted to jump in and kind of answer your question, Cody, about like what maladies can the, yes. the plant medicines cure. And I think from my own experience and, you know, helping, you know, see other people's experiences, it's this idea of trauma, right? And it comes in so many forms and we don't even realize it. This is where I say where the, the traditional kind of mental health medical model is so siloed. I think trauma manifests in many different ways. You get all, a lot of diagnoses, and at the core of it, it's trauma. And I don't think it's just kind of the big T trauma that we think about, like the the, the um, attacks or, or just kind of bigger traumas that you would think of. It's also the developmental traumas, the things that you didn't get at growing up. There were times when you didn't feel loved and enough for whatever reason. And that's, I think, what plant medicines can also kind of attest and help heal that part. And it, like I said, it manifests in so many different ways. Medically, you know, you get pain in your body, you get kind of here and there, but we don't trace it back to trauma because that's not the way our, our model is set up. I'm so, We're glad. Set to, I'm so glad you said that. Can you yeah. talk? Yeah. I, and I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Uh, the physical maladies, how they can yes. show up as trauma in the body because people don't talk about that. And yeah. it's sort of a little bit of a progressive model within the- Yes. Yeah. It's progressive and there's more and more, you know, researchers out there and and thought leaders in the field um, that the idea that trauma is stored in the body. It doesn't just happen and it leaves you. Our body remembers books like uh, The Body Keeps the Score, uh, Bezel Vanderkoek, like that's exactly what he talks about. And kind of these different other kind of things come out of it. We get anxious, we get panicky, we get fibromyalgia, we get pain. And we go to the doctor at the physical kind of medical doctor realm and we get the MRIs and the scans and the x-rays and lo and behold, they can't find anything, yet the pain persists. And why is that? And I think the root cause of a lot of this is the trauma that we've held in our bodies. And that's not getting released and I think that's a, a catalyst to to what the plant medicines can do and heal is that trauma. And it kind of extinguishes the big fire. So then the embers start to extinguish. Do, do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I, I walked to my first mushroom ceremony uh, with a back brace on from a stress fracture on my spine, which was from it was from fo football or jiu-jitsu. I, I was like 12, but it got reactivated. I was mugged in Harlem when I was 23. It was like an actual fracture on my spine. Yeah. I walked in wearing this brace. I've never worn it again. You know, I've seen so many people heal heal th physical maladies with this medicine. It's just tough to get people to s sort of talk about it. There's mm -hmm. a lot of tap dancing that people in the public eye about this have to do. Uh, on that note, I'll push into that 
I'll lean in a little bit. Have you ever seen anybody heal anything like cancer, diabetes, uh, or or the like? Because I can say I I have witnessed things like that happen. Uh, have you ever heard of it or witnessed anything like that? And if you don't feel comfortable speaking on it, I understand. I just I want to see how far I could push you to. I have certainly heard such miraculous occurrences, and I absolutely one hundred percent believe all of them. Same. Um, you know, over over the, you know, and, and it is very interesting because there is an element of of confidentiality too in this work that is yes. so so sacred. Um, so it is it's it's interesting how do we how do we amplify you know the stories and the potential of this medicine while also honoring and protecting the sanctity you know of these of these spaces and and it is an interesting thing to continue i think to navigate and why also you know it is such an encouragement for those who have had transformational healing journeys with with ethnogens you know to speak up to share their stories you know the more that we can bring our experience both to normalize, both to normalize use and and also to share best practices, you know, so so we can empower the public. I think that's one of the big things about about this particular practice in my work is education, you know, and what we want to look at. How are we best educating people to navigate these spaces safely? We have more than enough facilitators, in my opinion working out there between, you know, the therapists that are are coming, you know, to market with their training and, you know, the incredible shamanic facilitators that, you know, that exist, be it in the underground or the jungle or in countries where this medicine is is legal operating. What we need is an in, empowered seekers yes. and to support and empower the individual who is looking to heal so they can make the most of their journey. Um, and, and yeah, and I, I want to bring it also back. It's part of what education around pharmaceutical indications and how to best prepare to go and make the most of these experiences, you know, why this is so important. And I, I definitely want to answer your question because it is so important. First and foremost, you talk to your facilitator, you understand what the contraindications are with the particular medicine that you're working with. And then you talk to your doctor. Um, most, uh, at least to give ayahuasca as an, as an example, you know, anything that is working, ayahuasca, the, the beet cappy vine, in itself is an MAOI, acts as an M, it's a fast acting MAOI. So existing MAOIs, SSRIs, anything that's working on the serotonin reuptake inhibitor system, um, you know, pharmaceutically presents a key danger, but that's just one of many, 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 uh, serotonin syndrome, um, you know, damaging the brain. So, which is, you know, we are working to heal. People are working to heal with these medicines. Um, but more, even even beyond that, on, on a lower grade functionality, a lot of these pharmaceutical medicines sit in the receptors in the brain that also these medicines come and bind in. So it can be very difficult to connect to your journey. Not that there is not some benefit that you can receive apart from the pharmaceuticals that have carry a medical danger. Um, you know, having any pharmaceuticals best practice, at least what I have learned from, you know, from my teachers and I have seen in my own personal work and my own journey, um, the presence of pharmaceuticals in the body can complicate or can hinder, can get in the way, uh, can make it a little staticky, your own connection with these medicines in your journey. And ultimately, from an energetic standpoint, again, from my view, um, there is a return to homeostasis that we're looking at when we speak of the importance of, of detoxing from mm, 
pharmaceutical medication uh, to allow the body to return to its form as is. So when you're taking these intelligent medicines, plant medicines in particular, when you're taking these intelligent medicines, they can begin to do their work wholeheartedly, holistically within the body with where you actually really truly are. And I think that that's a very important element that is exists more in the psycho-spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily something that is medical. That's not necessarily something that is, you know, trackable or measurable yeah. or diagnosable. Um, that right. kind of comes yeah. more, you know, inferred from the energetics and the spiritual teachings and the shamanic realm um, that I think is a very important thing to consider, you know, for anyone who is looking to go on a journey like this is, okay, let's take a look at life. All right, so bucket one, we got to make sure that we're out of the red zone. Uh, for our own peace of mind, for the safety of the container, for the safety of the other people, and of course, for the safety of oneself, to know, okay, I am cleared medically to go into the space to work with these medicines. Now, um, in terms of contraindications, when it comes to at least the big plant medicines, you know, the psilocybin is a little bit more user-friendly um, than an ayahuasca will be. Uh, iboga, definitely the most intricate in terms of taking a look at, uh, at, at, at pre-existing conditions and contraindications just because it is, categorically speaking, the most intense for the body. Uh, so first step is again, to take stock of all, not only all pharmaceutical medicines, but also all supplementations that you're taking any supplements, any over the counter stuff, aspirin, cough medicine, whatever it is that you have taken in a, you know, three month period of time leading up to when you believe that you would like to go and, you know, explore work with these medicines to share those with your facilitator and to receive their direction uh, on where to go next. Now, from my point of view, that would be, of course, to understand what it is that you're taking that is in contraindication with whatever modality, whatever medicine it is that you would like to engage in for your healing and to go to your doctor and say, I need a safe tapering schedule to be off of this medication by X date. Now, Using the example of ayahuasca and and an antidepressant, you know, there's a good six to eight weeks clear best practice from from medicine. So there's preparation in on this journey, uh, which I actually think is really very important because it allows you then to use and bring in that tapering schedule, bring that into your psycho-spiritual preparation, to your intention work, to really preparing all levels of the body. We talk about three major realms of preparation. There is, of course, the physical realm, and that includes taking stock of of medical conditions and pharmaceutical drugs. There is the mental realm of preparation, uh, and then, of course, the spiritual realm. And we want to take a look at all of these realms, each an individual person, to take a look at all of these realms and make sure that we're aligning to best practices and we're committing to the journey. It is my experience and my deep belief that we get out what we put into these medicines, uh, and maybe more so, but the more we can show up in reciprocity, the more that we can show up in our reverence for self, especially, the more of a transformational healing process we have an opportunity to anchor through these modalities. I love that you're talking about mm-hmm. best practices and reciprocity, yeah. because it's at this time working with these these medicines, this is a very vulnerable, vulnerable time. And your own healing, it's, un- it's unfortunate that it's like this, but you are representative of a movement and we really need to be accountable and be responsible as we come to this medicines so we can avoid any, uh, any, any problems that could really blunt the movement and the revolution of these, 
medicinal treatments. Also, the act of reciprocity and even just starting to get in touch with that consciousness. So when you come to anything in life, whether it's medicine or not, you're not just asking for something. You're going, well, what am I giving to it? What am I bringing to it? You know, Shirley, is there anything you want to add to it? Because now we're fully sort of moving into the the preparation yeah. part of it. Uh, anything you want to add that Cole might have missed? Uh, also, the dieta is something very, very, I think, good for people to understand the, the how, the what, and the why of, of. Yeah, I think it's very important. And what Cole and I are envisioning is, like she said, kind of bringing the same sort of best practices that we've seen in allopathic like medicine and kind of the aftercare and the continuum of care into, you know, this, this realm. And I think a lot of what we're trying to provide is in the preparation is the education beforehand. I, I believe, and I know it for myself, it was really fear that kept me from taking that next step, yeah, right? Same, same. There's there's so much fear and in the uncertainty into what's going to happen and oh my gosh, I am I going to relive my traumas? That was what I was most afraid of. Am I going to relive my traumas in a journey and not be able to escape? Like that was my what kept me back. And I think what we're trying to provide is the the support and the scaffolding to be able to educate people on, you know, what to expect, how to prepare, how to best, you know, be in alignment to receive the medicine. And I, I, I'm hoping to, to destigmatize, you know, the, the idea of psychedelic assisted treatment. Um, and by providing the education, alleviating some of the fear that goes into so that people can take that next step, uh, to their own, you know, healing. And like Cole said so beautifully, you know, being an agent, uh, a, a place of agency for themselves. And I think that that is, that is important. I think it's more needed now than ever with, you know, the pandemic that's happened over the past couple of years. We're seeing in the mental health space, and I know every therapist and psychiatrist will agree with me, we are getting flooded with people that are really struggling. I mean, if you were already struggling before the pandemic, whew, it's it's been a it's been a wild couple of years and people are emerging sicker than before because they've been so isolated and they haven't had community. And so I think that this medicine is going to be calling to a lot of people and how do they navigate and find the medicine safely. And that's where one of, you know, many providers that are hoping to do that um, with integrity and, and alignment to the mission of the medicine and relieving, stepping away from fear and stepping into operating from love more. I love so that. That was my biggest thing too. Like yeah. the, the, the fear. It's of, the fear that holds us back. Right. It's like the, the, oh, so afraid of what will be revealed. Yes. You know. <laughs> Hey gang, pardon the interruption. We'll be back after a quick break from our sponsors. Sorry for the interruption. More Awakened Underground now. When it comes to expectations and preparation, do you, as you bring it into the mainstream, being someone that was uh, allopathic and scientific, uh, you know, majored in psychology and biology, do you keep it sort of just the facts and the science and the the data points, or do you open up to the mystical component of it 
uh, you know, do you communicate that with that with people or do you trust that the med- this is about them and the medicine, the medicine will meet them where they are. And this is something that can only truly be understood by experiencing it firsthand. Do you, do you open that door to the spiritual or do you meet them where they are the same way the medicine would as a facilitator? We definitely meet them where they are. Uh, I think an important place is if they're not in a place where they're ready to take that leap. Because there are, there are things that you just can't really put your finger on. There are, you know, it's like, you know, if we live in this Western world where we want the facts and the numbers and the outcome and this is what's going to happen. That's part of the process, right? We don't know what's going to happen on the other side other than your own personalized healing. So if they're, they're in a space where they're not quite ready to take that full spiritual leap yet. I think that the, you know, like Cole was saying, there are other modalities within um, psychedelics that we can take a look at and start them. But that's, I think, part of the process and part of the preparation process to see, are they truly ready to receive the medicine and be in this place? It's not a place where you get the facts and figures. There, There is a leap of faith right. that has to happen. Yeah. Right. And, and- and just to present to you, there are a lot of transformational modalities. You know, someone may be interested, you know, for some of the listeners out there who are like, man, I'm really feeling this call. I'm really feeling like there's something that I need to do different. Within the transformational, you know, there is a spectrum of transformational modalities that one can engage in that can use as a catalyst. There doesn't necessarily always have to be diving straight into a powerful ethnogen. I know that that was my way. For what I needed at the time in my journey. I was also kind of at a critical mass place on my path. Ayahuasca was the first psychedelic, you know, I ever did. I grew up in Chicago. I grew up in the Midwest. Where I grew up, yeah. I grew up thinking psychedelics burn holes in your brain. <laughs> yeah, you know? same, okay. Same. I mean, you just like me three times, you're legally insane. Yeah. You know? okay. like, just, just, you know, really, really exactly. wild. And but you know, but here's but here's the thing about preparation, and I think why, and I'm so grateful for this emerging field that I'm so proud to be a part of 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 psychedelic integration coaches, which are so much more than people who can come in and help you after you have an experience. We can come in beforehand to help hold your hand and work with you as a mirror. It is an offer for allyship, an offer for peer level support of a trained, seasoned professional to help you figure out where you are. Not because I'm going to tell you where you are, because I'm going to hold space for you and we're going to go through a framework and I'm going to ask you questions and we're going to have a curiosity and we're really going to get to the root of really where are you now? What is really calling you forward now? Where do we truly begin to open, to heal? Where do we need to step first, knowing that it's a long road, a long road home with a lot of beautiful things to see on the way. (laughs) Okay. And I know, you know, I know from, you know, from the nuts and bolts of like, okay, we got to take a look. What kind of medications are you taking? We need to get you off of these things to be able to pull in resources. And I think that that's the one thing about the work, about this firm that I'm so grateful for is the ability to bring all of my people Every yeah. professional, every healer, uh, every 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 teacher that I have personally worked with, um, you know, to the table in all of the modalities. It's like, okay, we're working to get off, let's say, antidepressants. You know, when's the last time you saw a naturopath? Have you ever seen a naturopath? What about functional nutritionists? What about supplementation? How can we take a look at, you know, at, at what is going on? And this is also why things are so individuated, but there is a lot of richness mm-hmm. um, in the alternative way, a lot of richness. 
a lot of opportunity for customization, especially in preparation, you know, to savor the journey. The preparation process is one where we are preparing the system to be able to anchor greater transformational healing journey. It is one where we are preparing ourselves to open to the possibilities of the unknown and what we can receive there. There is a teacher whose name I also can't quite remember at the moment, who's been living in the jungle for many, 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 many years, a British man. And he talks about, you know, preparation, peak experience, be that with ethnogens or, you know, the loss of a loved one or your first like shamanic breathwork retreat, whatever that might be, uh, and integration are really this continuum. You know, I see the visual of like the snake, you know, the snake eating its tail. And we can only integrate, which is the purpose of this work, to bring back into our lives what we have seen, what we have learned, what we have healed, so we can experience change, evolution, empowerment, progress in our everyday lives. We can only integrate what we have received, and we can only receive what we are prepared to receive. So this process of preparation is preparing us to receive what it is that we need to receive at this stage in our journey. So check the box, pharmaceutical indications. Um, you know, check the box, best practices in terms of your of the of the diet, what you can and cannot eat, the length of time, how you need to prepare mentally, how you need to prepare spiritually, and your intention work. You know, really, I think that that's another big thing, you know, really holding intentionality when you go into this work. And this is where, you know, again, the psycho-spiritual lens, you know, kind of comes to the the table. You know, in a doctor's office, you're not necessarily taking a moment to ritualize before you're, you know, popping your pill for the day, um, even though maybe perhaps that is in some people's practices. Yeah, if you, <laughs> um, if you are popping a pill, just at least do it with intention. Okay. You know, you, you, um, that's a step. But really bringing awareness in. And that is also a teacher for us to bring intention into our lives, awareness is such a understated yet yes. like important element to walking this path. And that's something that you could start to do right now. You're not ready to drink ayahuasca or floody boga or psilocybin. No problem. Transformation is available to you through your own agency at all times. It is a choice that we make. These tools Ethnogenic medicine are tools that support us along our journey. These medicines are not panaceas. They do not yes. fix us. Um, that was something that was very difficult for me to learn in my journey uh, because ultimately we, we do. We come from a Western cosmology of duality, you know, where for so long, take this, do that. This will make you happy. This will make you better. Just add water um, <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and go on with your with your day, which we have all, I think, are we getting to a place collectively where we recognize that that's um <laughs> that's not quite right. Like but not as advertised. Um, yeah. It's a process. It's a process. It's a process. And, and, it's, yeah. and, it, and it requires a lot of structure. That's why, you know, I fully believe in the whole continuum that we're talking about, the preparation, the the integration, I think is so important because it's not about just having one-off experiences with the medicine and then, great, I had this amazing experience wherever it is. And then, but how are you able to integrate those teachings and what you saw and those feelings into real life? Because that's the key, right? It's like we can go off and keep having one-offs, but how does that how does that fit into our lives and kind of how we function from a day-to-day -day perspective? And I think that's where that's where some 
magic kind of healing happens. Do you want to take us into integration then and tell us like exact like from we can move sort of through preparation to integration and how people can be prepared for integration, how they best should integrate. Uh, we don't know how people are going to use their own free will and if they're going to go to South America or what, but at least if you could educate them a little bit, it's better than nothing, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, it's a very important piece. And I think, you know, finding a good integration, either psychotherapist or coach or someone who can walk you through to make sense of your experience with plant medicines and integration is very, very important. And depending on the coach, depending on the therapist, it can be done in a number of ways, but just the the concept and the idea of that's something that would best behoove you to do and kind of set up as you're thinking of the whole journey, right? And it's to think of kind of the before, the journey, and then the after is what we think of integration. And um, Cole, you can jump in at any second, yeah. but those are kind of my my views and my the way I see it is that's vitally important is how do we make sense of our experience and how does that relate to our lives uh, as we're living them now? And before, before Cole takes the ball here to give her peace on integration, one thing I want to say about the importance of integration, because I think it's sort of like a mantra, like it's a drum we all beat that do this work. But when you realize that the, when you have an actual experience, uh, re- relativity is a bitch, you know, yeah. anything a vacuum is, is nothing at all. It's, it's just, it's its own thing. Once you, once you have this, this extra dimensional or experience that's so different from ordinary reality, uh, meanings change, who you are changes, how you identify, how you show up. And going back into that world and maybe having an experience that, you know, things are not exactly as they seem or feeling like you're no longer of this world can be difficult. And even as I say this, I'm kind of tap dancing because I'm projecting my own experience onto the listener. I don't want to do that. But it really is truly until you experience it mm-hmm. uh, on a real level with <laughs> yeah. ceremonial technologies, you know, the right way, it's hard to fully grasp the importance of integration. Cole, do you want to add anything to Shirley, what she just said on integration preparation? Yeah, you know, I mean, integration is the key to this work. Um, integration is, is, in my view, is, is why we do this work. This is actually, integration is where the work really begins. Um, you know, integration, I think there is a simple process that people can begin with in terms of integration. Again, this is, you know, very high level, but, you know, first and foremost, one of the best things that you can do is, is grab a journal. After, after each and every single experience, write everything that you can remember everything that you can remember and then go through a sister a system of of questions to like what are your key major takeaways what is it that you learned in this journey and then how can you apply those learnings to your life see if we can systematize this mm-hmm. okay how do you systematize the ineffable well once at <laughs> a time it's more of an art than a science right um yeah, but you truly. know but yeah. really being able to and i think that that's the thing is these journeys can be many things, and sometimes they are infinitely mystical and like incredibly expansive, or very cathartic and very scary. And if we get stuck in the in the story of the journey, we miss we miss the plot line. You know, we miss the we miss the purpose. We miss the meaning. 
behind the story. So we want to get, we want to acknowledge the story and be able to write everything that we can down or reflect on that, but ultimately to arrive, to distill it down into the meaning underneath what what is the meaning? What were the key takeaways that you had from this experience? Mm-hmm. Okay, amazing. You're fighting dragons. That's great. But what what did you learn? What does what does that mean? And I also think that that's also what is most important for all of us to continue to, you know, if we do choose to share, because I recognize that, you know, the work with these medicines is very, very, very intimate. You know, our story is what unfolds between us and the medicine, between us and ourselves. It's very intimate. You know, so to to best, I think, serve our journey, serve our integration, and really help to illuminate the path with as much clarity, you know, free of distortions for other people, is to be able to distill down the what happened to the to the why did it happen? What did I learn? Like what what is here for me? What is human within this? You know, what What can I bring into my life? What are my major takeaways? And sometimes a lot happens yeah. in these journeys. Yeah. Time, space, like doesn't feel real. And sometimes it's the blink of, the, of an eye. And, you know, I know I've had the journeys where it's like I, I have relived lifetimes in two hours. You're, it's, uh, you know, so how can I, what are the takeaways that are most alive for me? that I can bring back into my life. You know, so step one, I would say in some way, whether that is with a voice recorder or a journal, do your best to journal everything that you can remember because you can continue to come back to that. But then from there, what of that experience, what are your takeaways that are most alive for you right now? And to do this very soon, don't wait till you get home. Yeah. Do that in the morning. Right yeah. Do that right, right after. You know, it's get like, some it's good like sleep. a dream, you know? Yes. You like forget it. You and know? I think that is so important because to what Cole's saying, I think a lot of us, get stuck in the experience, right? Of what we experienced during that time and then this and that and that. But yeah, I, I think to take, to bring it home back to ourselves, it's that integration piece of what the takeaways were. What were the teachings? What were the learnings that you took away from it? And sometimes things don't make sense when you're in the experience. Right. A lot of times they don't. You're like, why did I see that? Like, what did that mean? <laughs> and that's the importance, you know, the testament to the journaling and kind of capturing it because it may not be that day, in my experience, that you understand, but it may be later down the road where something clicks from that first sitting. You're like, oh, that's what it was. And so to Cole's you know, point, just really capturing that as much, but then moving on is the takeaways. Like what are the, the learnings that you took away from it? Uh, I think it's really, really Kind of the key. Yeah. Yeah. I'm it's, so glad you said that because I've had ceremonies I didn't understand until years no. later, you know, and then I'm like, oh, that's what it was. It was, a little, you know, it was shining a light on something that was going to come down the yes. line. I just couldn't see it from that perspective. Yeah. yeah. And then the last step would be once we have the, what are my key takeaways? Brainstorming how you get to bring those back into your life. You know, and that is just, you know, that is one aspect of integration. I think, you know, a primary aspect of integration, but, you know, we'll take a look, you know, with, with, with clients. I take a look in, in preparation. All right. Like, do you have a meditation practice? What does your spiritual practice look like? And spiritual is broad. What is the you practice in your life? Where do you have space for you? And then how are we carrying that through also to integration? Taking a look at what behavioral lifestyle, um, 
you know, and relational shifts need to be made, setting ourselves up for that in preparation, you know, continuing to refine that in integration. And this is, and I, I, I'm so grateful to um, my, you know, some of the training that I received, um, you know, through my process of becoming, you know, a certified psychedelic integration coach. And, you know, we take a look at this like continuum of transformation that, um, that, Dan Adamson and being true to you kind of speaks to. And, you know, what I am finding in my work and what I have seen in the last, you know, I mean, I've been on the path for a decade. I've been in working with people for eight plus years, eight years now, is that when we can engage in this process of preparation, peak experience, and integration, as we are integrating our key takeaways into our lives, we start to see the next layer emerge of where we're stuck or what is calling us forward. You know, this is a process of very deep self-inquiry. We are the detectives of our lives. You know, we're coming in, stepping into, allowing allowing these medicines to be our portal into the blackness of infinity, okay? Allowing our intentions and our, the awareness that we have cultivated, the curiosity that we have cultivated to be our flashlights in that darkness of infinity, to seek answers and insights and healings, et cetera, to bring back then into our lives to integrate, to make whole, to bring together and as we do that, we start to see the new pieces of evidence or the things that mm, that feel like there's more that is there. So and then we can bring those things back. And it's, you know, once I really believe that as we fully integrate one experience, what calls us forth next? You know, this can be an onion uh, for some. Some people, maybe they only go to work with plant medicines one time, or maybe they go and they think it's only going to be one time and they're integrating for many, many, many years. Each and every individual's path is unique, and it's very difficult from the outside in to um, to measure or to judge or to say, oh, if you're if you're going and you're working with ethnogens X amount of times a year, if that's too much, it's more contextually of your process. Um, the whys. And I think that one of like the big key things of working with these medicines overall, preparation, ceremonial experience, integration, is holding yourself radically responsible. You know, really pushing the boundaries of our own personal integrity. And no one else needs to know. It's between you, you, and you. You, 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 and uh, maybe maybe the medicine, maybe your guidance. It really depends on, of course, your your framework and what is ultimately true for you. Because along this path is that opportunity exactly to really find what is true for you. What is true for me? What is real for me? Who am I? What am I doing here? You know, how can I heal what has been and step more powerfully into co-creating the world that I believe is possible? How can I step most powerfully into the fullness of myself, into my honesty, into my integrity, into my purpose, uh, and lead every day from that place? Right. And that can be a fearful place to get to, you know, some, I, we are the things that we are most afraid to face, right? It's like us and in our mind and our experiences. And some people, it's again, that fear of facing themselves that keeps them away. And it's like, when you're ready, it's there and you are there. But I think it's predominantly, I think a lot of fear that keeps people and it's the fear of facing ourselves. Well and, said. And our our deepest fears and desires and experiences and oh my gosh, am I gonna have to relive that, face that? And it it takes complete vulnerability and like Cole said, a radical 
responsibility to accept that. It's like, and you go in with, with openness, with love and curiosity. And you just, she said that was a perfect metaphor of kind of shining the, the flashlight in the darkness because that's what it is. That's, that's the process. Well said. <laughs> hey, gang, we'll be back with more after this quick break. And now back to our regular scheduled deprogramming. I love the, you know, that these fears that are taking, that are keeping us from looking inward, because uh, it's so true. And I find that like pain and illness, that's exactly what it's trying to teach us. Mm-hmm. There is a functionality to mm-hmm. the symptom clusters, however you define it. They're pushing us inward. They're trying. It's our to, check engine light. Exactly. It's literally, it's saying like, hey, hey, hey should look, something's, something's got to shift. Yep. Like you're not on your path, you know? I love that. I I, I love the onion of it all, you know, because it's just like, oh, you go, oh, I'm going to clean the house real quick and I start vacuuming. Oh, the table's need to be done. Oh, oh the TV's dusty. Next thing you know, oh, you the know, closet's a mess. Yeah, What's exactly. under the bed? Anybody? Exactly. Anybody? Every time you clean one thing, there's something else to clean. It reveals and another thing. And then you thing. got the shit drawer. Exactly. Well, that's, and that's, that's the truth of this work. You said mm-hmm. it so well, Cole. It's, it's not a science, it's an art. And, and it's so funny because the shift in consciousness is that exactly from life not being a science it's an art yes we're using science because we can now measure and we can we can now show through the scientific method that this is good for you there are benefits to doing this type of work but at the same time it's moving from everything being so structured and everything in a box and everything pathologized into this artistic way of viewing ourselves, this fluid way of viewing reality it's ever changing ever flowing it's a constant dance you know you're never done healing and everything having to be known yes i think that's another thing of our society like we want to know everything and be in control of everything. So this idea of going into the unknown is very scary for people. So it's that losing control. It's I I can't be in control of my, you know, what's going to happen. And like that holds people back a lot. It, it held me back. Same. And I think it's, it's, it's part of the process, right? Is learning to let go of that control and learning how to be okay with the unknown. Right. With trust and belief that and love that it's going to be okay. I feel like though that's the medicine that the medicine yes. gives you because it seems like whatever this reality is, it's sort of a faith-based journey, mm-hmm. you know, leading with your heart and not your mind and yes. not doing this calculations of who you are, what you're not, what you should be, what your life should look like, you know, getting back in touch with that that internal compass, you know, your yeah. intuition and flowing and trusting through life and you know, transcendent of the mind. I, yeah. I love everything you're both saying. I I would um, I would love to ask a few kind of points before we end up finishing our time. One thing is, could you speak to a dieta or the dieta, which can be different for different modalities? For interestingly enough, one of the producers of the show and. We first started working together. He had not worked with medicine, but he said, I've been on a dieta for a year, an ayahuasca dieta, waiting for someone to bring me the, the medicine. And it was like, well, here we are, baby. Like, let's go, <laughs> you know, sent him off. But so the question starts to be, what is that dieta for people? And, uh, you know, I'm happy to touch upon it, but if you would like to speak to what that dieta is doing for someone uh, on a physical, mental, spiritual level, uh, could you walk us through that, please? Yeah. So the dieta, and I think that there are some 
Mm. One of the most important elements of the dieta is, of course, the diet, the actual like, what am I eating? What am I not eating? You know, what am I drinking? And it's ultimately, you know, ultimately it's serving to cleanse and purify the body. You know, we are working to cleanse and purify the being. So both energetically, uh, mentally, and of course, like our physical bodies. So the dieta is an elimination of certain foods that are mm, difficult for the body to break down, high in levels of certain aminos that can produce adverse or uncomfortable effects with, you know, with, with, with a medicine or are otherwise just like not in harmony. Uh, with the medicine. Uh, we do dieta to ultimately quiet. Um, we work to bring the body, I think I have spoke to this a bit earlier, into like a homeostasis. We're working to quiet, quiet the mind, quiet the body, you know, quiet our energy fields. So when we step into a ceremonial space, it's easier to go inside, it's easier to connect. So from eliminating everything that is processed, everything that is unnatural, canned, um, you know, most uh, all pork, all red meat. Uh, some diets eliminate all animal products altogether. Uh, some will allow for fish and eggs. Um, really, this is another element of my my rule of thumb with um, with clients is what does your facilitator say? Is there a dieta guide? Let's take a look at that. If not, uh, I do have one. And surely, I think maybe that's what we make available for yeah. anyone for anyone listening. Um, I'm very happy to share. I wrote a little a little ebook. Uh, so, Cody, perhaps you can pop the website or uh, how to get in touch with us in the in the in the bio for the uh, for the episode. And we can. do you have and, it on hand, or do you want to send us something? Um, so I'll I'll uh, I'll send I'll send you something. Even if it's a little email address, you know, anything. Is, yeah, is you can. You can get a my my little PDF guide to uh, to the dieta that speaks you know to the energetics that speaks to food elimination which you can and you cannot eat, um, but ultimately I'll focus on what you can have, uh, and this again is specifically with with ayahuasca, uh, who is you know my primary teacher, and and this may vary uh, medicine to medicine, but um, you know lots of whole grains, lots of fruits and vegetables, organically focused. Uh, we're working to really lower or eliminate salts, sugars, uh, oils, you know, be very, very mindful of these things. A lot of water, a lot of hydration. Hydration is very important. You know, we're also looking energetically to eliminate, you know, we live in a culture where we are very plugged in and we are looking to unplug, you know, minimizing and eliminating toxicity and violence in your environment in all ways, be that challenging relationships, taking a little space and distance, the media, what we're watching on Netflix, uh, really working to bring our attention inward, to bring our space into as much peaceful harmony as we can. Uh, this is also a wonderful time to start a meditation practice if you don't already have one. Uh, how can we quiet the mind? Most experience with ethnogens begin to blossom where the opportunity, the impetus of the journeys happen very deeply within. And I find in my practice that, you know, one of the most, and I speak from experience, um, one of the mm, 
It can be sometimes difficult to connect when we are three steps ahead, we are in our mind, we are everywhere else but right here. So also in the dieta, working to find practices that help bring us into the present, that help nurture our grounding in our bodies and our embodiment. It could be a couple minutes a day of, of conscious breathing, really working to bring our attention, to bring our presence into our body, being, again, mindful about the foods that we are eating. And anyone who would like, I'm very happy to share um, best practices around that and then energetically as well this is also a really beautiful time to again connect with intentionality you know the dieta an element of that is is our intention work you know the the big theme of diet is sacrifice and that's what i think like the dieta is like such a embodiment of preparation and a commitment to the medicine and the work right it's like we can sign up and talk about it and think about it but the dieta, I think, is the first piece of really embodying preparation and, again, like the commitment. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm on this path and I'm committed. Uh, it, it kind of forces your hand a little bit and, and offers an opportunity. I'm like, why am I feeling resistance against committing to this or, you know, kind of taking these suggestions or recommendations? So right. I think it provides that first opportunity of like getting real. Yeah, you know? yeah. Let you know this is something. This is something real, and it's going to yeah. take sacrifice. And you know, because if you can't get through that part of it, then you're probably not ready to work with the medicine. Yeah, I'd add to that uh, eliminating alcohol. Uh, a lot of pra uh, practitioners will have you stop cannabis. Yeah, cannabis. Um, cannabis. We want to take a look at all other mm, plant medicines that are being used, uh, or uh, or of course like uh, street drugs um, that are being used. Many of which also carry similar contraindications to some pharmaceuticals. Um, yes, even MDMA, it's an amphetamine compound. MDMA, especially, uh, uh, also because it is interacting with the serotonin system in the brain. So this is a that's a really big one. That's a really big one. I'd also like to add, uh, uh, you know, we're specifically talking about ayahuasca, but uh, no pornography, uh, sex. There's something in the Amazon, they say, grandmother is a jealous lover. Uh, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, and there are some more complex reasons we won't go into for this sex, but pornography, masturbation, sex, that's something you want to stop leading up to it. I'd also like to speak to part of the integration process is you should carry these practices through. Definitely. Uh, so once you finished it working with the medicine, uh, keep the dieta going. Uh, it can be very heavy to bring this stuff back in. I share the story of uh, doing some deep ceremonial work with grandmother medicine, uh, a lot of healing with me and my partner around misogyny. Uh, and we went to, you know, our see our friends on a Thursday night rooftop uh, movie and we're watching Dodgeball, which is a movie I grew up watching as a kid. And the, the misogyny within the movie, which I was not even aware of, but the way they were depicting women w literally made my partner sick. She run to the bathroom, vomited, and I had a, we had to make an excuse and leave in the middle of the, this movie after seeing friends we hadn't seen for a long time. And that's how truly open and vulnerable you are. You are so open. These medicines open you up. That's what they do. A lot of our illness is this rigiosity, this firmness, uh, that, that this, that's making this disease get stuck that, or this illness that, that we cannot release. So it is going to very, very much has the ability to kind of blow your field open. Uh, there's something I asked to this. We use the word experience a lot on this show. 
and something through the process of working on it, I started to realize that it was hiding something about the work a bit. Uh, and that's that this is, especially with the sacred teacher plants, that it's actually a communication. Uh, there's a communication happening with this spirit, with your higher self, with your subconscious mind, whatever you want to call it. And it's an art, like Cole said. And through these practices, you can make the communication clearer. If you do not do these practices, it can be harder to tune that radio of communication and things can get misinterpreted. It can be more uncomfortable on a physical level, but we're really trying to prepare for this communication that is truly sacred. And it is, it is a, it is an art and, and, and it's a lot, takes a lot of testing and figuring out what's right for you and what's right for your relationship with the medicine, but follow the teachers and the practitioners like Cole and Shirley, you know, they're here with us, teaching us, you know, through experience, through love. And it takes a lot of work to get to this point where you can come forward. They're, they're speaking out publicly for the first time on this. This takes courage. And I, I, I cannot thank you enough for this. This means the world to me to have have you both come forward and, and to do what you're doing. You know, we all love you and support you. Everyone that's doing this work, like, you know, it now's the time and we appreciate it. You know, now that we're coming to sort of the end of the show, what uh, the way we we try to end things. So it, we leave feeling like everything was said that we wanted to say, what's your heart song? If you, if, if you transition out of this lifetime, next week what do you want to say for the world to hear what what is your message for the world right now regardless of the context of the conversation what would you like to say yeah i think i would say no matter who you are or where you come from or what you carry or what you believe you do not have to be afraid to face any part of who you are not any part of who you are there is healing transformation that is available to you on your terms and it begins with you with you uh -huh. and i think my message would be to stop leading from fear and fear comes in many forms and it comes in ways that we don't even associate as fear but judgment cynicism annoyance frustration anger sadness anxiety all these things hold us back from our true selves and when we're able to lead with love, you'll find the answer. You'll move forward. And that's that's my parting message. Thank you, Shirley. Thank you. And thank you, Cole. I love you, Cody. I love you both. <laughs> love you. Seriously. Thank you so much for so, having us. Thank you for coming. And thanks yeah. for the vulnerability and transparency. And to be continued, before we go, anything you want to say, how people can find you. It could be a handle. It could be an email. It could be any way they can find you. Uh, so you can continue to, as an extension of this work, help shepherd them down their path. Anything you can offer to be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. You guys uh, can find us on recoveryconsultantslash.com and it'll be in the show notes that you can uh, access there, but that'll be one way to find us and I'll have our information there. Yeah. I mean, you can always reach out to me directly, Miss Cole Crawford at iCloud.com. Very easy. Uh, go ahead and shoot me an email and then we'll get a special link up and over to you, Cody, uh, so people can get in touch and download the Diaz e guide and, um, 
and reach out with any questions. I also think that we've been chatting uh, over the summer. You know, we'll bring our other partner, uh, one of the most incredible healers I've ever met on my path, uh, to the table, and we'll do a live kind of ask us anything uh, for anyone who wants to step on, is curious about this path, has specific questions. We want to open this up to community and and be able to make ourselves available to be really allies on the path in any way that we can be. Beautiful. Thank you both. To be continued. Our final guest is our dear medicine brother, the beautiful David Grillo, who is the co-founder of the non-for-profit Thank You Plant Medicine. Thank You Plant Medicine Day is an annual event that takes place every February 20th and is actually the initiative that got me to first speak publicly about my healing with psychedelics. David is an awakened man with a true heart who is joining us now to share a few trusted medicine retreat centers you can explore as you embark on your search to find the right place to begin your healing journey. Hi, I'm Dave Griot, co-founder of Thank You Plant Medicine, an organization dedicated to destigmatizing plant medicine and psychedelics and responsibly integrating them into society. I imagine that many of you listening are considering trying these medicines for the first time, and you might be feeling a bit confused and daunted about where can I safely partake in, in this kind of experience. I would like to recommend to you three places that I fully trust based on my years of experience, and based on talking to a large number of people in the sphere and hearing their stories. The first place is a ayahuasca retreat center called Munai Center, located near Pucallpa, Peru, in the Amazon rainforest. It's run by Don Jose Campos. He's a master with over 40 years experience of the utmost integrity, humility, kindness, and the combination of his experience with the Amazon rainforest atmosphere is a place where you can go deep and just know that you're in good hands. If you want to learn more, the website is centromunai.com. That's C-E-N-T-R-O-M-U-N-A-Y.com. The second place that I recommend is also an ayahuasca retreat center. It's located in Costa Rica. It's called Soltara. I would describe it as more upscale, and it is a fantastic uh, setting, a fantastic view, fantastic accommodations, a very comfortable atmosphere where you can go deep in these experiences with indigenous Shipibo masters who run the ceremonies, both men and women. There's a prominent person who vouches for this place called Dr. Dennis McKenna, famous scientist and brother of Terence McKenna. He works closely with them. And so this is a place where you can be sure that you're going to get a great experience. The third place I would recommend is a Huachuma or San Pedro retreat center. It's located in the Sacred Valley of Peru, and it's called Huachuma Wazi. It's led by Sergei Baranov, who has been a friend of mine for several years, and I know his integrity. I've heard countless stories of people that have gone there and have shared with me about the kind of revelations they had and how comfortable they felt there. The ceremonies are held in the daytime and it's also a very magical setting close to where many Incas had many holy sites. So it's a place that I can also wholeheartedly recommend to you. The website for that is wachumawazi.com, H-U-A-C-H-U-M-A-W-A-S-I.com.
please remember to do your research. It's very important. This is not something to be taken lightly. It's not something that's for everyone. You need to consider if it's the right timing for you in your life. Are you willing to follow the, the necessary regimen before and after to have a, a positive and safe experience? So please consider all these things carefully and above all, trust your intuition and follow your heart. That's a wrap on our first season. Thank you for listening to the Awaken Underground podcast. We appreciate your time, attention, and support so very much. Please be sure to follow us on Patreon so we can all stay connected. And be sure to hit the subscribe button, as well as like, comment, and rate. Post on your social media account. Share it with your grandmother, your pastor, your dog. All of the things. Do all of the things because we love you and grandmothers need healing too. And my closing words to you all is thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you, I love you, I love you. Be well. See you next season. The Awakened Underground is a production of Calvary Audio in association with iHeartRadio. The Awakened Underground is created and hosted by Cody Blue, directed by Tanya Dahl, produced by Cody Blue and Jeff Apple, executive produced by Dana Bernetti and Keegan Rosenberger, co-executive produced by Jason Seagraves and Brandon Morgan, with post-production supervision, editing, and sound mixing by Josh Windish. And a very special thanks to Daniel DeLoretto, Eric Klein, Alexander Chinisi, Armand Zaidi, David Grillo of Thank You Plant Medicine, our teachers, First Nations people, our ancestors, our families, and these sacred plants.